Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. Take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Our text for this series, Unmovable, Unmovable, is verse 58. I want to read that for you this morning. It says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I want you to pay attention to Paul's instruction to the church at Corinth. He told them to be steadfast and to be unmovable, to understand who they are and where they stand in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this series, we introduced it last week, and today we're going to talk about being unmovable in truth. Then we'll talk about being unmovable in love, unmovable in good works, unmovable in holiness, and unmovable in evangelism. I believe all those things God wants to make real and evident in our hearts and in our lives. So this morning, I've come to share with you some eternal truths. Number one, God is real and God is alive. He is the creator of the universe. He spoke the worlds into existence according to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We believe that it's fundamental to our faith. We believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, that he came born of a virgin, that he lived 33 and some years on planet earth, that he died as the sacrifice for your sins and mine. But not only did he die, not only was he buried in a borrowed tomb, but he rose again from the dead. Witness, Paul said, by up to 500 people at one time. And repeatedly, again and again, through 50 days of ministry after he rose from the dead, people saw him, witnessed his resurrection, that in fact Jesus is alive. And we believe that on the day of Pentecost, God sent his Holy Spirit as the active, powerful agent that will work upon planet Earth from that day until Jesus Christ calls us home. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in Holy Spirit. And we believe that this book called the Bible is eternal truth for all mankind. We believe it's infallible. We believe it's inspired. We believe it's inerrant, without error of any kind. We believe that it is authoritative. The Bible is the Word of God. Did you realize that the Bible is not only the best-selling book of all time, but the best-selling book every single year? Between five and seven billion copies of the Bible have been printed since the 16th century. The Bible is the most translated book in the entire world. It's translated into over 2,200 languages at the present time. It's the most popular book in the world. It's the most influential book in history. It's the most read book in the entire world. The Bible is the most quoted book in the world. You will see atheists and sinners, people who have no relationship with God, quoting words of Scripture because they're so true. The Bible has had a profound impact on cultures around the world. And may I tell you, it is the most important book on planet Earth yet today. So I've come to talk to you about the Bible is truth. Some people question, some people wonder. But I've come to tell you, you and I as believers must be unmovable in truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We need to understand that he said, I'm sending the spirit of truth, who is the Holy Spirit. Throughout scripture, we see God's truth in the words and the pages of the Bible. And it's a truth that liberates. It's a truth that frees. It's a truth that transforms men and women. It's a truth that directs our lives. It's a truth that exposes lies and heresies in the life of God's people. I'm convinced we cannot live in a fallen society and not be tainted by the lies upon which it's founded without, a, without truth being our compass, compass. 
Truth has to be what guides us and directs us. You know, friends, I've said it many times before, but I'm going to say it again this morning. It's not that our society is ignorant to truth. It's that our society has believed so many lies. And the only way you and I can measure truth and lie is against the standard of God's Word. God's Word is absolute truth, and it has been since it has been written. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says it this way, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The writer of Hebrews wrote it this way in chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick, is what the King James says. A better translation is that it is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's why when the word is preached under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, sinners are convicted of their sin. They turn to Jesus Christ for repentance and salvation. Saints are convicted of the wrongness of our ways, and we turn to Him for correction and guidance. The word is powerful. Psalm 119 verse 130 says, Your word, the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Because the word is true, we use it as the gold standard for conduct and behavior. Every other source of truth is measured against the word of God. And every lie is measured against the word of God. And we learn when we study the word that when we choose to believe and obey the word of God, then we are a blessed people. And when I use that phrase, I'm concerned that everybody thinks, oh, that means we're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. That's not what it means. It means your spirit is going to be enriched. It means your life is going to be full. It means you go from an average life to an abundant life when you choose to obey and believe the Word of God. When we obey God's Word, we are blessed and highly favored among all people. Those phrases have been used inerrantly for years. That means simply that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We have a relationship with the ruler of the universe. That Jesus sits on the throne of our lives. That we acknowledge Him, worship Him, praise Him, and serve Him every day of our lives. See, I've come to tell you today, I'm standing here because of what I know. Because of what I've learned from the Scripture. Because I understand his word to be true. And what I know tells me I can put my faith and my trust in him because he is always reliable. He never fails. He never gives a wrong answer. He never takes you down the wrong road. God is faithful to his word. I know some of you in this room this morning, some of you online would say, well, that's all good and well, but I'm just not sure I can believe that. My response to you is this, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Because if you are, God has already given you the capacity to believe every promise in the book. You say, well, where do you find that? In Scripture, Romans 12, 3, God has given to every man a measure of faith. It's talking about believers. And if you know Him as your Lord and Savior, if you've confessed Him, if you repented of your sins, if you're endeavoring to live for Him by the power of the Holy Spirit, then He has already given you every bit of faith you need to believe the Word of God. And it tells me in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith then comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. How do we increase our faith? By getting in the book. How do we increase our faith? By coming to church. How do we increase our faith? By listening to messages, by understanding God is still speaking yet today. Well, that's just not enough for me to believe the Bible is all that you say it is. Well, let me give you three different proofs that are not in the Scripture, but aside from the Scripture, that prove the authority, infallibility, and inerrancy of the Scripture. First, fulfilled prophecy proves the Bible is inspired. Do you understand and realize that the Bible was written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors in 66 different books? 
In the scripture, there are over 2,500 prophecies. 2,000 of those have already been fulfilled. 374 of those directly relate to the Messiah, the promised coming one, the Savior of the world. The probability for even one of those prophecies of the 2,500 being fulfilled by chance without error is one in 10 to the 2,000th power. I can't even write that number. It's a one with 2,000 zeros behind it. There is no way that man in his own intellect and wisdom over 1,600 years with 40 different authors could have written things that dovetail together and are reality today. Absolute impossibility. The Word of God was not written by chance. It's written by divine inspiration. Inspiration mean it, it means it is God-breathed. God moved upon men of old and gave them the words and the ideas that are recorded in the Scripture. Let me give you further proof. In his book, Science Speaks, mathematicians Peter Stoner said, as he applied modern probability to just eight messianic prophecies. Remember, there's 374. But he chose just eight of those prophecies. And he said the probability of eight of those being fulfilled at, in one man at one time is astronomical. He goes on to say that actually that equation looks like this, that even eight of those being fulfilled are one in one quadrillion. It's an amazing number. It's the one beyond trillion. It's an amazing number. When we look at this, he goes on to say, what if there were 48 prophecies that we took regarding the Messiah? The odds of one person fulfilling them would be one to the 157th power. That's one with 157 zeros behind it. It's absolutely impossible for man to have written the words of Scripture, to have all the prophecies fulfilled from his own intellect, his own knowledge, his own wisdom, his own experience. It leads us to believe that fulfilled prophecy point to the fact that the Bible is the inspired word of the living God. Secondly, we can look at archaeology. Archaeology proves the Bible's accuracy. Archaeology is a study of ancient peoples and cultures. Provides a tremendous amount of, tremendous amount of evidence. Bible. Matt Slick, December 7, 2008, wrote an article, Evidence and Answers. In that article, he said, in fact, archaeology has never uncovered anything that contradicts the Bible. Archaeological evidence supports the Bible completely and totally. The information in the Bible is so accurate that it's actually been used by archaeologists to assist in their work and what they're discovering. Nelson Gluck was a renowned Jewish archaeologist, and he stated no archaeological discovery has ever disproved a biblical reference. Wow, that's powerful. Never disproved a biblical evidence. The evidence from archaeology assures us that we can rely on the accuracy of the Scripture, both historically and geographically, of everything contained in the Bible. Through archaeology, we know that the names of over 40 different kings of various countries contained in the Bible have been supported by archaeological evidence and documents. Inscriptions both inside and outside of the Old Testament prove the Bible true. When we begin to consider that evidence, we recognize that archaeology proves the Bible is accurate. Someone said, give me an example. Well, how about the walls of Jericho? You remember that, right? Book of Joshua. Joshua led the children of Israel across the Jordan River. The first city to capture was Jericho. It was a walled city that had never been defeated. And yet today we learn from archaeology that the ruins of those walls have been exposed and found. And in fact, they did fall down and crumble. City of Jerusalem. Has, as described in Scripture, has been verified again and again. The tunnel of Hezekiah that goes under the city of Jerusalem has been found and verified. The city of David, by the way, if you go with us to Israel, you're going to see all these things. The city of David has been found. Jerusalem's wall built by King Solomon has been unearthed and discovered. The previous wall built by Nehemiah has also been discovered. 
Hundreds of biblical cities have been verified in archaeological digs, to name a few, Ephesus, Jericho, Dan, Susa, Babylon, Joppa, Nineveh, Capernaum, and on and on and on it goes. Archaeology proves the accuracy of the Bible. As Christians, we don't need archaeological discoveries to know that the Bible is accurate. Our faith does not depend on them. We should not rely on them, but instead we rely on the power of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ. Number three, history proves the validity of the Bible. The Bible is not written as a history book, but it contains a lot of history. Many historical figures are identified within the pages of the Bible. Among the most conservative list, over a hundred biblical characters have been conclusively identified by secular history. You can read about that in an article of Jim Franks entitled Proof of the Bible. He went on to write, Romans and Jewish historians were no fan of Christianity. They gave historical proof of the Bible, including the life of Jesus Christ. You'll find in historical documents, Pilate, Herod, Caesar, Herod's brother Philip, Aeneas, Caiaphas, all members of people in the New Testament. We're able to confirm no less than 100 biblical characters in secular history. That's impressive, and it's remarkable proof of the validity of the Scripture. Someone said, but what about Jesus? Does history verify Jesus? Absolutely it does. You need to know that most historians were no fans of Jesus Christ and Christianity. Yet among those historians, there were two Romans who were quite famous. One was Tactius. He was a prominent Roman senator. He wrote Annals and was published in 115 to 116 AD. He confirms the connection between Christ and Pilate and agrees with the biblical record that it's all happened during the reign of Tiberius. He was no fan of Christ or Christianity. He wasn't trying to prove that point. He was recording history. Another Roman historian, Pliny the Younger, was the governor of Bithynia. He also was no fan of Christians. But in his writings, he mentions Jesus Christ, the trial before Pilate, the fact that Christians afterwards were arrested, interrogated, convicted, and killed for being followers of Jesus Christ. Without a question, we can prove that Jesus Christ existed from history. Robert Van Orst, in his book, Jesus Outside the New Testament, wrote, No pagans and Jews who opposed Christianity denied Jesus' historicity or even questioned it. Another fact that can't be ignored, in the first century, literally thousands of Jesus Christ followers were executed for their faith in him, including all but one of the apostles gave their life as martyrs. Listen, they knew Jesus. They saw Jesus. They walked with Jesus. No one gives their life for something that isn't accurate and true. So we learn from Scripture that prophecy proves the Word of God is infallible, that archaeology proves the Word of God is accurate, and that history proves the Word of God is valid. So let's talk about truth, shall we? I'm going to take you back to the book of Genesis. And I want you to understand that the foundations of this earth were laid by God. That the word of God controlled the seas. He told the sea where it could go and where it had to stop. The word of God placed the atmosphere around the earth that is currently still there today. And it was the word of God who spoke to the dust and created bones and then he spoke to the bones and created muscles and sinew and flesh. And then God breathed life into that form and man became man. The word of God raised up mighty armies and defeated many mighty armies. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 states it this way, that by the word of his power, all things are upheld or sustained. So if we look at that verse in a negative sense, it says that without God... Nothing would exist that does exist. Everything would fly apart. Everything would be uh, undone and destroyed without the power of God's word. Hebrews 4.12, let's read it one more time. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit, of joints, joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the hearts. May I speak to you this morning? That feeling that you're feeling in your chest, that heaviness, your heart beating faster, that's the Holy Spirit. And he's knocking on the door of your life and he's saying, I am true, I am life. And if you will turn to Jesus Christ today, your life will be transformed. When we read Hebrews, we understand the word of God is living and powerful. This isn't just a dead, dry book. It's not comparable to ancient literature. Because this book is living. This book is powerful. This word is life. And we need to understand that. Someone said to me recently, what's the difference in the Bible and some other religious writings like the Koran? Well, the Koran was written by one man, Muhammad, with no eyewitness evidence presented in it whatsoever. All hearsay and second guess stories. But the Bible is based on eyewitness evidence. People lived it. They walked it. They talked it. They knew it to be true. Someone said, well, what's the difference in the Bible and the Book of Mormon and other religious writing? The Book of Mormon, too, was written by one man. His name is Joseph Smith. He wrote the Book of Mormon according to his story. I don't believe it, but it's his story. That an angel appeared to him and showed him a place where there were seven golden tablets written in a foreign language, he got the ability to interpret those tablets, and then he wrote the Book of Mormon, and then the angel took the tablets with him. Convenient, isn't it? No way to prove it, no way to verify it. I'm telling you, the Word of God was written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors in 66 different books, and it never once contradicts itself. The Word of God is inspired and infallible. It's living and powerful. It told, tells us that God is in fact alive even yet today. And there is nothing in this book that should be dismissed as irrelevant in our lives. It's living and powerful in all of it. Every word can affect our lives. Every word. How, does it, how it does depends on how we choose to believe it and apply it. We can choose to say, oh, I don't believe anything that guy is saying. I don't believe the Bible really is for me today. And if so, may I tell you, its words will not impact you. Its words will not affect you. But when you activate faith in your life and say, I believe God's word is true, and I believe God uses his word to speak to people yet today as it's anointed by his Holy Spirit, then the word of God will bring change into your life. It's how we accept it and how we apply it. Halo, would you come back, please? There was a 16th century Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther, who by chance came across a Latin version of the Scripture. And he began to study that Latin version of the Scripture. And from it, he developed his 95 theses that were placed on the wall of the doors of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. Because of that, he was labeled a heretic. He was brought before the church and then brought before the Roman emperor to challenge his thesis. When they asked him to recant, this is what he said. Unless you prove to me by scripture that I am mistaken, I cannot and will not recant. Listen to this phrase. My conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against my conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I am, I stand. And there's nothing else that I can do, God help me. What happened to him? He was excommunicated from the Catholic Church. He was branded an outlaw by the Roman Empire. He went on to start Protestantism, the Lutheran Church in particular. See, he was willing to stand on truth and the authority and the power of God's words. May these lips cross, these words cross our lips today. My conscience is captive to the word of God. And to go against my conscience is neither right nor safe. Jesus himself used the word of God to defeat Satan. Read it in Luke chapter 4. After 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, Satan came to him 
And Jesus, the Bible says, was hungry. And Satan said to him, if you're the son of God, take this stone and turn it into bread. And what did Jesus say? He used the word. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then Satan took him to a high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, if you will just worship me, I will give you all of this. And what did Jesus say? He quoted the word again. He said, the Lord our God only shall we worship and no other God. And then Satan took him to the pinnacle, the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you cast yourself down and then get this, Satan quotes Psalm 91 to Jesus. He said, he said, God said, he'll give his angels charge over you. He quotes the scripture to him. Listen, just because you're hearing scripture doesn't mean it's from God. You need to check the source. The devil uses the Bible against believers and unbelievers. Check the source. And Jesus said to him, we shall not tempt the Lord our God. He used the word to confound the Pharisees, to bring sinners to repentance, to heal the sick, the lame, the halt, the blind, and to prove the good works of God. He said to the Pharisees, you have taken the traditions of men and substituted them for the word of God. Oh friend, let it never be said of us that we have placed our traditions above the word of the living God. The word is absolute truth. It is infallible. It is inspired. It is the rule of faith and conduct for all men and all women. And even just before his death, he said to Pilate, who was judging him and who would pronounce the death sentence upon him, you have no power except that it's given to you from above. Jesus continued to use the word of God. So many times average Christians read the scripture and they shrug off the stories of Peter and Paul and John and the exploits they did through the power of the Holy Spirit for the kingdom of God. They say, oh, well, they were super Christians and I'm not in that category. May I tell you that's not true. They were Holy Ghost baptized believers and they lived and walked in the power of the Holy Ghost. And if you and I, oh, come on, hear me. If you and I will believe the word and walk in the fullness of the spirit of God, the same things written on the page of this book will happen in our lives and in our churches today. But we got this huge, big doubt stamped on our forehead for another day, for another time. No, the word of God is for all days and all times and all peoples. And God is no respecter of persons. So what he did for one, he will do for another. If he healed the sick then, he'll heal the sick now. If he saved the lost then, he'll save the lost now. If he delivered the addict and the bound then, he will do so yet again today. Oh, come on, somebody. The word of God is true. It's accurate. It's filled with prophecies. It's inspired by God himself. Even in times of old, Job wrote it this way, my righteousness I hold fast. When his wife told him curse God and die, he said absolutely, I will not. Job 15, 13, he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. So we've got to come to the place where we say, these circumstances don't affect what I believe. Don't affect what I know. I may be broke, busted, and disgusted, but my God is still on the throne. I mean, I have two pennies to rub together, but God is still on the throne. I may be sick with a bad diagnosis, but my God is still on the throne. And today, I choose, and you have to do that, you have to choose to believe the Word of God. That it is inspired. It is infallible. It is authoritative. You say, oh, well, we can't do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. April 20th, 1999, two seniors in high school entered, by, entered Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado. We lived about a mile from there before we came here. And they came with guns to kill students and teachers. They pointed the gun at one young lady named Cassie Brunell. And they said to her, do you believe in God? 
And she said, yes, I surely do believe in God. And then they executed her. Folks, we have got to come to the place where it doesn't matter what or who is facing us. What or who we're encountering. The lies that are told around us, we stand on the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the source of truth for all mankind. You know the common denominator between the apostles and those who do exploits for God today? They believe the Word of God. They believe God's Word is true. They refuse to compromise the Word of God. And the relationship with God is based upon His Word. I'm going to get in somebody's business right now. You need to stop listening to every prophet that's on the internet. If they're asking you to buy something that they profit from what you're listening to, run from them. Understand, if their word doesn't align with God's word, it is heresy, it is false, it is not true. Measure everything, even the words spoken from this pulpit by the word of God. And if they're not true, reject them. Do not believe it. Do not accept them. Because the first moment you believe one lie, it opens the door just to crack. And then the devil comes swarming in with lie after lie after lie. And the first thing you know, you're just like the cult. You believe everything that they're peddling and selling. We must understand that the Word of God is true. We understand that prophecy proves it. Archaeology proves it. History proves it. But even more than that, the Word of God itself proves that it is true. Declares its authority over the life of every believer. If Jesus used the Word of God to defeat Satan, shouldn't we as well? If Jesus used the Word of God to confound the religious, shouldn't we as well? If Jesus used the Word of God to bring sinners to Him, shouldn't we as well? Because the Word of God brings light. Brings light. Brings light. And where light is, darkness cannot stay. Light drives out darkness in a powerful way. Brings guidance and direction. The Word of God brings peace and hope assurance and so very very much more when we choose to believe it stand your feet with me across this room heads are bowed and eyes are closed in just a moment Haley's going to sing that song again we believe but before she do i need does i need to ask you are you in this room this morning or perhaps you're watching online today and you've never accepted christ as your lord and savior You've never doubted the existence of Jesus. You've never questioned that he's the son of God, but you've never asked him to forgive you, to cleanse you, to change you, and to come into your life. This morning, this is your opportunity. I'm not gonna ask you to bow your heads or close your eyes. I'm just gonna ask you right where you stand. If you need to accept Christ in your life, lift up that hand and we're gonna pray for you today. And God is gonna come into your life this morning. As I wait just a moment, you need Christ in your life. Lift up that hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. That's me. As I wait just a moment. I assume that, I know it's not true, the rest of you are believers. There are sinners in this place. You just need to get yield to God. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've determined to put your life on the basis of truth, which is the Word of God, would you right now, as Haley begins to sing, lift that hand and say, Lord, I believe in you. I put my trust in you. My faith is in you. Your word is my standard of rule and conduct. Your word guides me and directs me. Your word enables me to make it through this life. As she begins to sing, we believe. Come on, lift that hand and say, Lord, I believe. I believe. Sing it out, Haley. Lord, we believe in the Word of God, the revelation given from God to man. We believe you're coming back. We believe. 
we believe. Thank you, Father, for the ability you have given us to believe your word, to know that it's accurate, it's true, and it's our rule of faith and conduct. We measure everything that we hear against your word. And if it doesn't match up, we reject it as a lie from Satan. Folks, there are so many things in our culture, in our society, promoted by the media today that are nothing but lies from the pit of hell. Measure it by God's word. I was going to say this in the message. I didn't. I'll say it now. If what you're listening to doesn't align with the word of God, change what you're listening to. Turn off the news. Turn off the media. Lay down the newspaper and pick up the Bible that is good for all ages, all times, and all people. And begin to read words of life that will change your life. I challenge you this January, pick up your Bible and begin reading the Word of God every day. Read however much you want, I don't care. My Bible reading plan is to read two chapters in the Old Testament, three Psalms, one Proverb, two Testaments in the New Testament. I read the New Testament once every six months, the Psalms every 30 days, or Psalms every six months, the Proverbs every 30 days, the Old Testament once a year with that simple plan. You don't need to go buy something just pick it up and start reading. And when you're reading God's Word, have a pad, a pencil beside you. Because I assure you, when you begin reading God's Word, God's going to speak to you by His Holy Spirit. Those words become life and bread to those of us who believe in Him. Take the challenge. Read the Word of God through this year and let God speak to you. If you're a new believer, start in the book of Mark. It's a book of action. It tells us who Jesus is. If you're an established believer, start in John because it tells us about the messianic ministry of Jesus Christ and the great love of God. But start reading the Word of God every single day and let God speak to you. Cal, would you come at this time, please? Yvonne and I love you, we appreciate you, and we thank you for what you're about to do for us today. Thank you that Eric is here. Is he saying Eric? Well, uh, good morning, everyone. You may sit down if you'd like. Uh, have just a few things to say and some directions for you uh, today. And, we are all honored today. Um, I got a chance to be in the back in the green room with Pastor and Yvonne this morning and get to pray with them there. And, and so I, we get to do the same thing again. And I've, uh, Eric and Dietra are here with us. We, we represent the board for the church. Uh, we have some people. Um, our right-hand lady, um, Tina Pate, is sick today. And keep her in your prayers. She wasn't feeling good. and didn't want to spread whatever she had. So we said stay home. So... Uh, today is a great day. I, I had made some notes, and um, I don't know. We didn't have any particular flow. Did, uh, can I go first? Okay. Um, first thing is is that on Friday, a special thing happened. I think it was a special birthday for somebody. And uh, the board has a special birthday card for you. Thank you. Um, uh, Jan January is special to me because that's also my birthday month. And sometimes I like to tell you the story about my mother and how precious she was and the great things that she did. Uh, I'll save that for another time. Um, we wanted to take a little time and, and share with you just about what's going on today. Um, Pastor Steve and Yvonne, um, 2013, you were considering applying for pastoral assignment in Tallahassee, Florida. God was moving in your life and the lives of the board and, and um, I, I, I knew it was going on but when a board is doing a search, it's, it's pretty quiet because a lot of people apply and it has to be, um, and my wife is the best at keeping secrets and uh, from me. And I, so I didn't know a lot about what was going on, but I knew that there was a man in, in Colorado that God was working on. And I say Colorado because that's where a lot of people say, even though he's from Oklahoma, they were actually living in Colorado at the time. So can you imagine leaving the beautiful, cool, dry climate of Colorado and coming to the hot, sweaty atmosphere of Tallahassee, Florida. That has to be a move of God to do that. 
So, uh, and today we, we celebrate that decision to join our, for them to join our church in 2014. Um, they've offered strong leadership to us and sincere friendships. And uh, one thing I can say is that um, I, Pastor Steve is, is a pastor, has a pastor's heart. And, and we as a church needed that as we searched and, and all. And uh, we knew that it was important to not, we didn't need an evangelist. We didn't need someone that was here once a month and gone evangelizing. We needed a pastor. And so that's what he brought to us. And I remember um, at the time there were some people asking me, says, what is your vision for our church? to follow God and that has continued if you go and ask him now what's your vision for 2023 is to follow God what does God have and I I know he spends a lot of time in prayer and and searching out what God wants to do with us and and that's the answer to that and he's been faithful to do this for us for nine years and all of this gives causes us to give thanks to God we know that as God leads us Great things will happen in the years to come. And then as Paul, and let me end by saying this, as Paul encouraged the Ephesians, we give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 5.20. So we thank you. Uh, the, we have this for y'all from the board. Thank you. We love y'all. And Eric? All right, I'm going to be brief. Uh, good morning. Um, when Pastor Dow first came to the church, um, some person stopped by and asked him, could he see the roll, the tax records, so on and so forth for the church? Not tax records, the tithing, the books of the church. Pastor Dow told him no. He didn't take that no so well, and he spit on Pastor Dow. Yeah, I know, I know. Pastor Dow chased him off. I mean, literally chased him off. And um, after that, I was sitting there. Well, not sitting there, but I was just waiting on the explosion. And about a week later, Pastor Dow started a new series entitled, what was it called, Pastor? Yeah, Take No Offense. <laughs> and I'm sitting here like one word wow take no offense take no offense and he began to speak to us about loving people beyond and ex ex regardless of what they do to us being able to show love to them and that really touched me because it's not what he said over the pulpit it's what i saw with my own eyes the kind of love that he exhibits not just people in the house, but to everyone. And I was just so thankful to see that. And to let you know, Pastor, that what you did wasn't just for me, because I don't think a pastor should be just for us. A pastor should be generational. So what I saw in you, I gave it to my sons, and I'm expecting them to give it to their sons, because that is awesome. And the Word of God declares that a man that has control of his members, his hands, his eyes, his feet, is like a strong city and is not easily shaken. And that's what I want to be. And Pastor, thank you. Thank you so much. Good morning. Now I would like for you all to know, Eric and I have not talked about what he was gonna say. But what he said is what God gave me. So I say to you, Pastor, that when I look at nine, nine means completion and perfection. And I would like for you two to know that on my father's side, there was a generational pattern of unforgiveness, holding grudges, and being vindictive. And I would like to say to you also, through your nine years of teaching, that pattern broke off of my life. So it's broke off of my next generation and my generations that I would not live to see to come. So I want to say thank you for the love that you've shown me and my family and the body of Christ. Thank you for being a teacher of the word to teach us faith, to stand in the midst of adversity and be unmovable and unshakable no matter what comes up against us that we will stand on the word of God. 
Thank you for your marriage being such an example to us in the body of Christ. The love that you two exemplify to one another helps me and my husband be stronger because you a strong man. You protect and you nurture. And Miss Yvonne, you a strong woman. You stand in the midst of whatever comes. You are a strong example to us women of marriage. So I say to you two, thank you. And lastly, all the surgeries that I've had that I inform you of, thank you for 6 a.m., 10 a.m. coming, praying with me and my family, sitting there. That showed my family the love of a pastor, that you're just not a pastor in word, but you're a pastor in action. So thank you for those times that you gave up your time to come and sit and pray. That was an example to the nurses and the doctors. They don't see that anymore. So thank you all. I love you and thank you for everything that you've been to my family and to my generations that I may not ever see. I love you all. Happy ninth anniversary. May you hear the message from the Father's heart. Pastor Steve and Yvonne, May you allow the roar of the Lion of Judah to reign in and through you, that his word is released in boldness and in strength. May you submit to the Lamb of God and to his spirit as he quickens his word just at the right time. May you continue to be intentional as you build relationships with God's beloved. May you be like Jesus a friend who sticks closer than a brother. May you faithfully train and equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, until we are complete, equipped for every good work. May the light of the Lord Jesus Christ continue to emanate through you as a lamp on a lampstand, giving light to all the house, to all the house. May his light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. May God make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every. May he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. May you be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal lamb, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for coming, heeding the call, being here with us and helping us. And we, sh we thank you for what you're doing. And we look forward. I, I, I don't know how everybody feels, but I know 2013 is going to certainly be a lot better than 2012. 2022 and so we look forward to what God is going to do in our church and what he's going to do through us and with us um, at this time we wanted to talk to you about some of you may say what are we doing what are all the tables out in the hallway for we um, uh, wanted to have a potluck lunch together with everybody time to be together speak together spend time with Pastor Steve and Yvonne tell them how much you love them and care for them and please don't anybody go and leave without doing that He's your pastor and that she's your pastor's wife and you need to tell her how much you love her and him how much you love him and care for him. So what we're going to ask you to do, the tables are set up outside. And those of you who, I know there's some people say, well, I didn't bring anything. I can't stay. Yes, you can. There is plenty of food. My wife brought a very special casserole. It'll probably feed eight to 12. There's only two of us. So we'll feed you with that. 
we've got the, ch uh, the chickens and we've got different things that have been brought and so we ask you to please stay with us and socialize with us a little while and enjoy breaking bread with us we ask you to do one thing if everybody when after the blessing is said will go out that door and then line up the food will be in the hallway those of you who are serving if you're still in here if you'll get up and go if you're already done so and prepare to do that and then um, we'll have fun to fellowship together. We ask one other thing. If you would please, when you get your food, go into Fellowship Hall and we'll fill those tables first. And because there's some things we're gonna do in there, some fun things that have been planned. So uh, we, we thank you all for coming today. It is a special day for us as we celebrate uh, the ninth anniversary for our pastor and his wife being here. Eric's gonna say a blessing. If I get you all to stand, please. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord God, for our favor on our lives. We thank you, Lord God, for the favor you've blessed us with. Pastor Dow, Miss Yvonne, we thank you, Lord, that you continue to cover and keep them, Lord. Continue to protect this house. Continue, Lord God, to allow your glory to come and settle on us, God. Lord, we ask that you bless this meal we're about to receive. Let it nurse and strengthen us. Take out all the impurities and bless the hands that prepared it. And God, continue to walk with us as we walk in your favor. Amen. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.